How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of BTBN Beyond the Blind. This is episode 25, so this is the very last one to subscribe. I want you guys to subscribe and share all of these. I hope you still do that, just out of the, the kindness of your hearts and all that good stuff. But uh, no, this is the last one for the Duck Call giveaway, that sweet, sweet Buckeye Burl with Blackwood. I uh, have been messing with it this week, and uh, I'm going to get everything organized and give it away this weekend. I'm going to give it away on uh, Facebook. So it's been another long day. I just walked in the door from work, cracked open a beer to get ready for this thing. I still got my work clothes on, but hey, we're on a schedule. So uh, today we got a, another great, great call maker on. I hope you guys have really enjoyed the last you know, few that we've done. It's been a lot of fun, but we got a, a good one on today. His name is, not to say that all the other ones aren't good ones, I wish I could go back, but we're not going to redo that <laughs> because everybody knows what I mean. Um, we got Mr. Ernie Ross on today. He's the man who has set the standard for selling his custom calls the way he wants to do it. No closed books, none of that nonsense. He does it the way he wants, and he makes a hell of a goose call. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. So, without further ado, Mr. Ernie Ross. All right, Mr. Ernie, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. Good, good, man. Is uh, how are things up? You are. Are you another Ohio guy? Yes. Man, yes, Southwest Ohio. Nice. I just had uh, Ron on yesterday, so okay. he was complaining yeah. to me uh, a week or so ago that I had way too many Southern guys on, so we're following <laughs> at, up with back-to-back Great Lake area guys. No, actually, we're all the way down by the Ohio River, so we're Southern. Uh, as far as this state goes, most everybody in Southern Ohio is from Eastern Kentucky, so gotcha. I'm a Yankee. Gotcha. So, so you're not as much of a Yankee. Is that what you just said? Yeah, we're right on the river, so we bob back and forth. So nice. So, are you like, uh, is that like outside Louisville area? No, uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Okay, okay. Just yeah, trying to get Cincinnati. my yeah. mind wrapped around it on a map. So, being that close to the river, I'm already jumping into it because it just led into it. Um, is that what you grew up hunting on was the river? No, actually, that's uh, I've hunted on the river maybe a handful of times in my life. Gotcha. Uh, our waterfowl hunting around this area uh, for years and years was non-existent. My dad didn't hunt waterfowl. Uh, there was no waterfowl to hunt. One of my earliest memories, just to give you a, a feeling of our area, woke my brother and I up very young uh, probably in October and got us out of bed in the middle of the night and made us come outside big full harvest moon I can remember it and the first flock of Canada geese I've ever seen flew through and we can watch them and hear them and uh, that was a rarity obviously for my dad to wake us up in the middle of the night and get all excited about it um so the, with the changing of the weather that we've had in, in our state especially, um, our winters are very mild now. And we have so much crop residue. It's uh, over time become more and more and more of a place for geese to actually winter uh, and pass through. But we don't have a true migration, so to speak, like uh, a lot of 
places do. So are you getting, um, like that's very similar to us. I live in the southwest part of Missouri. And uh, as far as Canada geese go, um, we have nothing but residents. The migration okay. for us start, stops up at like Kansas City area. So uh, I definitely feel your pain there. Are you hunting a lot of like residential geese or? No, no, we get a lot of them out of Canada. A lot of the bands we've killed uh, are up in Canada, all the way up into none of it. Um, a lot of the Akaminsky Island, which was part of the Southern James Bay uh, banding projects for years, um, we get right in our right to us, and we're right on base line. You can consider the Ohio River. At least I have for years as the freeze line. You know, it's it'll freeze, but it's not cold enough and frozen enough to really drive birds on farther south. And they're coming down as far south as they have to. Now, when we have good pushes of birds, when it's really cold up north, those birds will hang around us until they get into about that 40 degree range of weather and a southerly flow, and they're gone back north. And it's a ebb and flow. Um, all season usually because of that so it's a a weather very much weather related uh, of what we're going to get and it has to be cold up north before we get a big push of birds do you guys get a lot of the uh, lake effect or anything like that like uh, lake effect the weather yeah like i don't know no. like the big swings and weather you don't get anything like that no that's way far south or we're way too far south for that I gotcha. Um, all the lake effect is up farther northern northern part. You know, Ron might be getting some up there, um, but we don't. It's um, it's it's just funny, and it's uh, the last two years that we've had here has been the worst that I've ever seen as far as numbers of birds, and it's because we've had such mild type of El Nino weather patterns. You know, so much coming up from the south constantly. Has, and it's just kept us from freezing. We didn't get a hard freeze last year at all. Really? And see, that no. what I've noticed, it's been so, so mild. We haven't had a good winter over here in uh, the further furthest part, of, I guess, of the Midwest would be Missouri, Kansas. We haven't had a good, hard, cold winter like I remember growing up in probably at least seven years before we've hit like a real negative temperature stretch. But... uh it seems like we're getting winter later. Like, it didn't get really, really cold this year until the end of January, mid-February. And, you know, season's already over, and we were just covered in ducks. But it had been over for three weeks. Yeah. That used to be the case with us. They've extended our goose, our Canada goose season into February. I think it went to the 16th this year, uh, which is great. But, um, again, it... If you don't have them down, you're not going to have them. And what we hunt is sanctuary birds. They'll come here and be on gravel pits, uh, big bodies of lakes. There's a couple of rural, very, very rural uh, communities. And they're, they're gated communities uh, with huge, huge lakes in them. And birds will, uh, they'll stay there most of the winter, actually. And when they used to have a lot of net collars, uh, after season, I would call a lot of them in to the bird banding laboratory in Potasca, Maryland, and uh, I could do my own research then. I could follow those birds and where they go and where they, you know, how they move. And so that's gave me the premise for understanding what our birds are doing. Now they'll go back and forth to roost to 
different roofs in the area. We do see them do that a lot, and there's no known reason why that's happening, but they do bounce back and forth. Um, but really, really depends for us is, like I said, the weather. That's the crucial thing for us to have good seasons. I have, these last two years have not been. I agree with the weather aspect. And I've talked to so many guys out of the south, and it's mostly with ducks that they're talking about. But everybody's so concerned about who's doing what with ice right. eaters and hot cropping and stuff like that. And I just asked them, I was like, have you ever been to Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska? And they're like, well, no. I'm like, oh, I can tell you that we have not got snow or ice up here in exactly. years. In years. And th- exactly. you're not going to get the birds driving. Why would they have to? Yeah. And it's funny, you know, social media makes the world such a smaller place. And I've heard all those people, you know, a lot of them from Louisiana, you know, and they're, they're thinking that we're stopping the birds up north, you know. But it's ridiculous because we don't even have them. You know, they, when they were two years ago, the big uh, – when they started their own groups and stuff about the flyways and stuff, you know, we're, we don't have any ducks and geese. It, so, how you know, if we're not getting them down from up north, what makes you think they're going to come down there? You know, is my point. Um, it's just bad for everybody. The weather is is has affected our waterfowling uh, negatively, and uh, as far as hunting, so well, there's I... really no answer to that. You know, and that's a uh, that's, that's a tough thing. We've seen areas, you know, uh, you look down in Kentucky, and uh, Tim Grounds had taken me down to a place that they had hunted years and years ago down in Ballard County. And Ballard County was considered the world's best place to kill Canada geese. And this happened for years and years. And also where Tim was living. And Tim explained this to me, you know, how all this worked back in the day. And it was phenomenal, uh, the amount of birds and the quality of hunting. And the stories were just unbelievable. Now they have none. I mean, it is hard press even up where they're at in Illinois to have any cannabis. Um, just very hard pressed for it. And so those things are going to happen, you know. And I think that's something that all of us, um, as waterfowlers, have to accept that and have to understand that. You know, there's things way out of our control that are going to affect these birds and their numbers. I think a lot of people have gotten spoiled in being able to set out in a blind one permanent blind and hunt out of it all season and hunt every day of the season if they wanted to you know that's not like it is up here in most of the places you know we travel i mean tell you it during season it's nothing for me to put an eight hour a day in driving scouting and going to all the big water reservoirs lakes areas that i know that hold birds to check them and to catch them coming off feeding in fields because that's the only way we're gonna that's all we've ever been able to hunt them and there's a lot of lot of time and effort and you really start to understand those birds i think a lot better when you have to do that i mean i'd give anything to be in a flyway uh, you know some of the places i've seen in arkansas and that you know it's uh, i'd give anything to hunt out of a pit but that you can't do that here you you put a pit in you're wasting they money might, or might not be there <laughs> and if, it's, if it's not in corn they're not going to come so <laughs> usually rotate every other year and here you got a pit put in the field that you can only hunt you know Three days um, a year. <laughs> yeah, three days every two years. See, <laughs> and the next year's in beans. I, so that, you know. I get that so much too because I have so many guys that I know and talk to all over the country and they're like, oh, you're in Missouri, you know, and everybody's like, oh, Missouri's so great and it's become the new, you know, 
this or that. And I'm like, the birds follow the Missouri River down from the Dakotas and the Mississippi River down. I was like, that forms a Y that goes 250 miles around me. So <laughs> I'm in the central starts about three hours to the west of me and the Mississippi's three hours to the east. So we get okay. no ducks here. I mean, we used Are you around Springfield then? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm from Springfield. Okay. I live in Nixon now, okay. but I've always lived there. But okay. uh, 10 years ago... A little bit. It's... I'm uh, actually I married there uh, in Missouri, right above you. No. Uh, Lake of the Ozarks. I was, that's where my wife and I were married at. No kidding. Yeah, yeah, in a cave. No, no less. Did, <laughs> Jacob's Cave? Uh, no, it was called the Bridal Cave. Bridal it Cave. Was, uh, I deliver up there, and I drive by a sign that says that, like, three times a week. That's so funny. Oh, yeah, you can walk right in there and look at the old picture photo albums, and there we are. What led Actually, to that? Well, uh, my family has always been shotgunners and uh, big trap shooters. My brother actually is a, is a professional trap shooter. My sister-in-law is probably the best woman trap shooter ever to live. Uh, so our family, my dad had raised us, you know, we'd always shot trap. One of the big shoots uh, for many years was a Missouri Fall Handicap, and it was uh, right near there. So we went there every year. Uh, actually, went to Missouri twice a year to shoot those two big shoots. And uh, with with me owning, I own, my business, I own a logging company, and being as busy as I am, and my wife is a doctor, and with her busy schedule, it was always we were engaged and when to get married and what to do. And uh, we came up with that because we were going to be out there anyway. So that's how uh, we ended up getting married out there. Very cool, man. That's so much better than the the general, oh, we planned this out and had to have the perfect. Oh, it this really night. was. It was cheap. We saved a ton of money. And uh, it was a great place. It's a beautiful place down there. We got They have a stalactite and stalagmite that meet this at the altar. So it was absolutely uh, a really unique place. We loved it. Do you guys have a lot of caves out in Ohio? No, we don't. We really? do not. See, we have so many of them here in Missouri. I just can't. I forget. I've lived so many different places in the country, but I've I've lived the majority of my life here around Springfield. I feel like I forget other places of the country just don't have the caves like we do. Yeah, I love it. I love the caves, and I just uh, like you said, you don't get to see them very. Well. We have a south of us down there, closer actually to where. Uh, Andrew Haddon lives. Now, then you start getting into Mammoth Caves down there, and that's a huge cave network all down from Bowling Green on down towards him, and uh, Mac Dietrich also lives right there. And that's a big cave area, but that's as, you know, you to get into a regular cave network, you really have to go down that far south hmm. for that. Well, uh, I can tell you, growing up in, in the scouts and stuff like that, I've been in some caves that... Oh, you belly crawl through and yeah, I don't think I'd like that. side <laughs> shimmy for a hundred yards. Oh, yeah. Now as an adult, I'm like, why in the hell did I ever do? There's there's things that I remember doing as a kid that I'm like, like I'll go a place. We were out hiking with the family the other day, and there's this trail that goes on top of this cave at uh, one of the parks we have, and you go through the woods, and then there's a trail that goes ar- like around the edge of the cave. And I remember getting up there and looking at it. And I was like, dude, I used to run up here and sit on this edge when I was a kid. <laughs> I remember sitting off this edge and throwing stuff 
at the you know the base of the cave and it's a good 35 foot up and the ledge is like five inches wide and i was like i was eight or nine years old like what in the hell is (laughs) (laughs) what were my parents thinking yes exactly oh that's too funny man so you grow up you said there wasn't any canada geese there when you were a kid and you can remember when they first started so what yeah, they started slowly sort of see them uh, they built a couple big reservoir lakes right when uh, i know my dad worked on one of them my dad was a union carpenter and worked on the tower there at east fork lake um which is a huge impoundment lake there right by us so i can remember when that went in and several others at that era at that time uh, went in this was like 76 77 um and um uh, that's when we started to get, I think, the beginning. Uh, in our particular area, there's a lake in Hillsborough, Ohio, uh, Rocky Fork Lake, and they started to get a lot of birds that I think were true migrators. That would that was almost like the beginning of those birds that went as far south as they had to. You know, and, and um, it, it's just grown over the years from that. Now, not tremendously has it grown, but... Uh, you know, we have a, a lot of birds that are down here at that, you know, have come and migrate. A lot of black ducks. We get a lot of black ducks down here, which have to come from up in Canada. Well, and uh, saying that on this thing, you might have a bunch more hunters out there trying to punch their black duck check off the yeah. list because I've never even seen one. Yeah, see, that's funny to me. Uh, you know, and, and, and it, granted, it's all over the, you know, people tell me too. Some guys say they want to kill wood ducks with that. And I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah, wood you ducks, know? yeah. It's like a blackbird. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, they're everywhere. Uh, but the same way with me, you know, there's always certain things. We don't get many pintails. Uh, when we do, we, you know, I love pintails. I absolutely love them. I have uh, one tattooed on my tricep. <laughs> do you really? Yes, sir. Yeah. I love them, and I've never got one. I told this story on a couple of podcasts, but I had shot one dead to rights, dead on the water, laying in the decoys, and we had another group of mallards working. So I'm like, I'll hold off and let them work these yeah. mallards. And I'm already on my phone. I'm like, hey, guess what? You know, texting at home. I'm like, <laughs> I finally got it. I've been chasing this thing for so many years, and I finally got one dead to rights. And uh, the mallards didn't end up finishing, and it would probably been three or four minutes. And my buddy goes, hey, Chris, look at that. And I was like, what? And I look over, and a dang bald eagle is hovering around, me. hanging out. And by God, if that son of a gun did not pick it up, fly to the other side of the lake, 300 yards down, set it on the ground, and ate it in front of me. And I just was like, if you were any other bird, I'd be shooting at you right now. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh. I'll tell you, you know, when you talk about the black guy thing, it's a funny story. This is also about a a call maker, a very good friend of mine, Ken Eason. Ken comes down and hunts with me there towards... um, the end of January and uh, him and his wife Connie and my wife and Connie are really good friends and so Ken's first come down he's like ah, you know I'd love to shoot a black duck I said we'll put you on a black duck don't worry don't worry so I have some friends of mine now you have to understand my scouting area the friends that I hunt with my regular hunting friends are two hours away from me <laughs> and uh, we hunt everywhere in between you know we hunt an area probably the southern half of Ohio um, from Columbus down in the southwest corner is the whole area that we we hunt. And uh, 
so I got on the phone with them guys, and I was like, hey, Kent's coming down. He's one. We got to get him on a wood duck. You know, everybody put some windshield time in, you know. And uh, my friend Doug said, I've got him. I found him. We got some birds. You know, there's some black ducks. I said, all right. So we went up there, and uh, sure enough, that the, it was really funny weather. Uh, it was clear when we set up in the dark. We set up on a little, uh, almost like a stock tank, a cow pasture pond with cattails in it. And uh, we ended up running out probably 100 geese that was on this little pond that were roosted <laughs> on it. So we say, like, oh, God, now what's going to happen? So we're sitting there, and the fog starts rolling in. And it gets kind of real foggy and misty, and the wind completely changes. So it comes down, and is uh, the wind's blowing in our face. Ooh. So we have these ducks. We start hearing ducks. And right at shooting light, these ducks started to light down in, and we start and we're all holding off and waiting, you know, for black ducks. And then there was a pair starting to hover down, coming down, and we <laughs> we was all excited for Kent. We said, there, there, right there, Kent, black ducks, black ducks. He goes, I see him, I see him. He jumped up, he shot, and uh, we shot a couple other ducks out of the, the group and landed on the pond. We had a dog going into the pond. A buddy of mine run around the edge of the pond, and I heard him over there call. He goes, I don't believe it. So he comes back. And he throws the duck on top of me and my, we was in layout blinds. And I looked at it and I said, Kent, you ain't going to believe this. And I pitched the black duck to Kent and it was banded. Oh my <laughs> so, goodness. <laughs> it was, uh, it was unbelievable. We actually killed, uh, that day we killed three bands off that pond, a goose, a, uh, a mallard drake that had a funny odd band on it. And then we, the black banded black duck. And then the day before that, we shot band in Canada. Mm-hmm. So Kent and I went out and bought a lottery ticket. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you for, you bought him an extra uh, extra week of hunting. You're like, just stay here, man. <laughs> my uh, we went out on my buddy's very first teal hunt, and it was I don't know, like seven eight years ago. His very first teal hunt. We took him out, and I mean, it was a absolute. It was like the mosquitoes in Louisiana. Mm, you could yeah. not. It was just the right time, the right moment, the right day. Mm-hmm. And we just beat the brakes off of him in ten minutes. And we were sitting there picking up decoys and just laughing. And we were, uh, you know, trying to get the heck out of there. You know, with teal, they're here, they're gone the next day. So we're like, we're not. It doesn't matter if we come back tomorrow or not. But. uh we're laughing, and I'm, I mean, I'm throwing a decoy at birds that are landing at my feet. Like, really? You dumb son of a gun? So, we pick up, and uh, I start, you know, I was kind of the hunt efficient of that one. And I start having everybody pack up, doing this different stuff. And I just start grabbing birds and throwing them in my uh, blind bag, or the decoy bag. And I was like, I'll, I'll carry them back. And, you know, the other guys had their, everybody had theirs on their straps and all the tags and all that legal stuff. But we start throwing them back and uh, we bring them up, lay them out on the truck. And my buddy's very first hunt, you had to walk through some muck to get there. Just nastiness. And it was probably a quarter mile walk in. And he is dying in this September heat. I mean, we, we get to the truck, we lay all the birds out on the tailgate, you know, do the classic, you know, mm-hmm. hey, we did a duck picture, and we're waiting for my buddy to get back, because he is 400 yards behind us, and uh, he gets back, and he starts pulling out the last strap of everything, and I pull out his birds to line them up for the picture, and I was like, son of a freaking gun, dude, 
your very first teal hunt, you got a damn band. Are you kidding me? And he goes, yeah. he goes, these aren't my birds, man. I was like, what are you talking about? These aren't your birds. And he goes, you threw all those other straps in there. And he's like, and you left yours hanging on the on the freaking tree. And I grabbed your birds and brought them back. And my other, the other two guys that are with us are like, no, get out of here. And I was like, you know what? You're damn right you did. So my very first band was a bird on his very first hunt. And uh, I have... I had left my lanyard in my blind bag in the back of the Jeep, and somebody had actually broke into it two weeks later and took it. So I had my very first band for two weeks. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, it's a funny story of all the Canadas that, that I've killed and hunted all over these years. Uh, the very first one I ever shot was banded. And I'm not lucky in many things in the world, but I have been extremely lucky with banded birds for some reason. I'm not questioning it, but I have been extremely lucky that way. We uh, we were hunting up in Kansas City with a buddy, and we ended up shooting two bands out of this hunt, and it was another just banger of a hunt. And uh, there were three of us that had never gotten a goose band. You know, we've been on plenty. I've been on so many freaking band banded hunts and just never been the guy that pulls it away from the draw. I am the most unlucky son of a gun with this thing. And there were three of us and two bands. That's pretty damn good odds to win a band. So they were like, "Uh, who wants to draw first? Well, none of us want to draw first. And I was like, well, heck, you two guys draw first, you know, whatever. And both of them drew the band in the first two draws. I was like, you've got to be kidding me, man. So now if we get one and we have a kid on a hunt or somebody who's never had a band on a hunt, I don't even care. With it, with mine being stolen, I was just like, whatever. Yeah. I'd give them all away now. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, it's, uh, it's, uh, we have, we've been fortunate about that because of the, uh, the Southern James Bay bird. The biologists were claiming that was a subpopulation. And a lot of us that... Um, and though I'm not a biologist, I have a degree in animal science, and I'm, I'm very interested in the biology of waterfowl, obviously. You know, I thought that was a fallacy because we had saw birds that were neck-collared. And again, the Southern Bay, James Bay Project, when they were banned, a lot of them in Akamiski Island in Southern James Bay, had an orange neck-collar. And I have seen them down here nesting with a, hen, with a, a female goose. That, so I know that they're intermixing and interbreeding from that. And Delta finally got involved and put that whole issue to rest and did DNA testing of birds in Ohio that came down that of, of wing samples, the DNA testing, and proved that there was no such thing as a southern James Bay goose. But during that process, there was a lot of marked birds in that, a lot of, a lot of birds. And also, consequently, the state of Ohio, Michigan, uh, was involved in that. They all banded as well, you know. And then also outside of that banding project, there was a lot in Ontario, different places that did a lot of banding during those times. So we've always been lucky around here um, to have birds that were banded. And, and it's always interesting to see, you know, just how far the birds have traveled and uh, – you know, there's, there's some very interesting things, well, including the, the reverse molt migration birds. You know, we, we've killed birds that were banded in Tennessee. So the only way they could have, you know, more or less they molt migrated up north 
and then we're with that population of birds that migrated back down. That's crazy. I remember seeing some guys post up from Minnesota or Wisconsin, one of the two, and they had had a band that was banded down here in Missouri. So yeah, they which, do some banding projects in the winter down there. Uh, they do it on some speckle bellies, I've, I've heard, and some duck species um, to see about, to try to track um, as they come back down when they're killed. Like you said, exact scenario that you just said. I've, I've heard people tell me about that. Very uh, cool. Yeah, I really like that part of it. You know, those birds and, and how they've adapted. And uh, it, it, that's one of the most interesting part of hunting to me, actually, is that. Are you still brother there, brother? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. It's so much that, like, since I've become a waterfowler, my, I, I feel like I have a master's degree in reading the weather. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, this crazy, know way too much about birds and different, it's, it's the passion for the, cause so many people just think that we're out here just to kill, like just yeah, killing birds. Wow. And it's, I find them fascinating. Like sometimes I almost feel bad for shooting at them because I'm just so amazed by the different, you know, the way that they do things and how their different interactions. It's it's a very fascinating thing, and it's the connection to this the animal that's the whole thing, man. Yeah, you know, it used to be nothing like in Walpole Island, which is a uh, part of an Indian reservation up north. You know, they used to go into a cornfield and the soil is black as coal up there and they pull up corn stalks in a cornfield to Im- imitate geese and they call them by mouth uh, the Cree Indians are known for that calling Canada's by mouth and uh, they kill them they wanted to like that but you know nowadays you know we run here with with me and my rig we you know we're running five dozen Dave Smiths full size big honkers you know, and uh, some days that's not enough. And that quality of that makes a difference. These birds have seen a lot more, and they see a lot more, you know, coming down. One thing about us is very tough is by the time they get down here, they've seen it from Canada all the way down, you know, until uh, they get to us. They've seen a lot of spreads. Well, and so if it's they... always a little bit tougher, I think, for, you know, a little bit more leery birds right off the bat. Stuff you expect to back in the day when there wasn't many people hunting and there wasn't much going on, you know, um, you could just, you could land them with flags, you know, just uh, put them right on the ground. But they, you know, as they see more and more hunters and more and more advanced things and the decoys get better and stuff, they become more and more leery of that. It gets to the point, you know, if, if you don't have really, really cold weather here that makes those birds, they're instinctively wanting to stay in a group when it's really cold. So they'll come off in flights off of their roost. If it's really, really cold, those birds will take shifts. And I've witnessed this multiple times. Uh, there'll be a group of birds that will stay and keep swimming in the whole eye in the, to keep it open. Keep the water open. Yep. Yeah. And other birds will go out and feed. And I've watched them birds, and I, again, this is back in the day, I could watch them from net collars and know which ones left and which ones come back. They'll come back as soon as they hit the water pretty much that whole other family groups that were there those family groups get up and they go feet and how they organize that how they know that i i can't figure out 
but I know that it's happened. I've watched it too many times, and it's just fascinating that that uh, that adaptation part. And you know, these are birds that are come together for migration. You know, they've come together in staging areas. And, you know, it's not like they've lived together their whole lives. Um, and to know that, to be able to do that, is amazing. So when it's colder, those birds will come in together and land with other birds. But the weather that we've been getting here lately is uh, they won't land with live birds when it's warmer anymore. They're almost acting like family groups. Yeah, that's exactly what they do. They land in different parts of the fields. But, you know, the only thing I can think is that that stress from that colder weather, it it kicks in and evokes survival um, instincts in those birds. And uh, that's the group theory of survival, you know, that they'll land with those other birds and and work. But... um, that's getting tougher and tougher to do. Well, I can imagine you said, you know, they were wintering a lot there that wintering birds and birds that like, you know, places like Minnesota and stuff like that, where they're just passing through and you got a true migration, but then you get down with like Arkansas, you'll have the snows and the specks and everything Mm -hmm. that winters there. And those birds when they're fresh are stupid. You know, or for the lack of better term, you know, they're just uneducated in what's going on for the season. But the longer they're there, the tougher it gets. So I can imagine if you have all those honkers, you know, wintering there, it's kind of almost like us hunting local birds. They are the most finicky, smart. They're like, you know, this this blind, this lump of crap grass has not been there before. We're going to land. 400 yards on the other side of the field even though we've been coming to this top of the hill for the last four years straight you know on a 35 degree day with 20 mile an hour wind it's like you know you hunt the same areas enough you know what the birds generally do but the birds that are they're just so smart that they just change it up mm-hmm. i'll tell you what we did one time you're gonna kick out of this is uh we got frustrated and uh I said, this is what we're going to do. We left our spread where it was at. There was only one other good place because of the wind and the speed of the wind that they could actually land off on. You know what I'm saying? When the way that they had to hit the field. We went out there, and uh, we had we have my trailer. I have a multitude of. I've got everything. A kitchen sink in there somewhere. <laughs> right. We got much, We took another set of layout blinds and completely laid these layout blinds out with no decoys other than the two we took with us in the very front. And them other birds would come in there and we'd watch them work those decoys of ours where the decoy spread was at and the other layout blinds of the door shut. And they'd work and they'd work and they'd finally ditch off and they'd come over and land it with the two where we were at and we'd kill them. And uh, <laughs> we'd done that more than once before we split up and just took our layout blinds and drug them over and left the spread there. That's and, really, uh, really smart. They're uh, when they're starting to do that, and you know they're doing that. Then you pick the next best place for them to land. I've heard of sometimes uh, it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, and I'll, I'll, I like to use the terrain a lot. Or if you have a fence row or something stupid in the field, you know, like farmer leaves his tractor out there, or you know, just something crazy in the field. And you know that it's going to push them off of that, trying to use that almost to your advantage to push, make the birds slide over to where, like yeah. you said, say you have, you know, like something in the field, like, a, you know, a tractor or right. something like that. And you set your spread up to the right of it 
and you know that they're going to slide off of your spread because they're getting leery, but they're not going to go all the way to the freaking tractor because that's going right. to, so you almost just kind of like get them in the middle and you'll set the blinds off a little bit when they're being real leery. So they're not looking at you, but they just kind of bounce right outside the spread and it's like right in your own <laughs> yeah. kill hole that doesn't make any sense right. whatsoever. Right. You know, and, and that's the thing, you know, they, uh, we could do something one day and it works the next day it doesn't. You know, the birds, I'll tell you what, there's a waterfowl has been, is the most humbling thing, you know, and anybody <laughs> that thinks they've got a master, it obviously has not hunted long enough because there's a, I mean, there's days I just shake my head, you know, and I think, well, I'm getting this thing figured out with these geese, you know, after all 25 years, 30 years, whatever it's been, you know, and then they just completely do something completely opposite. It's just, uh, I tell you, this is the truth. One time we were out in a place up north of here and, uh, we had actually killed out and I went and got, it was frozen enough that we could drive the truck and the trailer in the field. And I've got a, a Ford Super Duty a crew cab with a 22 foot, eight and a half foot or eight foot roof, uh, aluminum enclosed car trailer. That's what we haul our decoys with the running lights, everything on it, lights on in the truck, run out in the middle of this field and had geese land. I mean, if we wasn't standing there picking up decoys, you know, there's times I said I could hit them with a rock. And you're just like, and here the whole time before that, we're like, oh, we got to move this. we got to tweak this bird here. we got to move this. Somebody, they're seeing something, you know. And I'm like, uh, you know, they'll just drive you crazy sometimes. Well, that's always the best is, you know, like you said, you have everything set up perfect. And you're so worried of this and that. And then you go to pick up decoys. And like you said, birds will literally be landing on top of you a minute after shooting time. And you're like, you son of a guns, man. I swear to freaking God. You know, that's another thing with our hunting here that I don't know uh, how a lot of places are. We have to have weather. Now, to drive these birds off to go out to feed in the field, they have to be, there has to be a front come through, a heavy front. It's got to be spitting rain or snow. Or there's got to be some kind of over, really deep overcast for them to fly off and if you don't they'll come out and i swear you can set your watch by it they will fly out right at shooting light and it absolutely they know it seems like on bluebird days we can't hunt bluebird days everywhere else in the country that's what they're hoping for you know and i'm like oh god i don't want you know i rumble around about it my friends go what what are you talking about you know and i'm like man you don't want them up home i said that's the opposite of what you want you know, is those kind of days. Yeah, clear and it's, cold. They're going to sit there all freaking night. Oh, yeah. And, and there's a lot of these places they're staying on. There's grass. And these geese will pull grass. And the ducks will just... Ducks will get up and fly around. I, I don't know how, how it is everywhere else. You know, and I've not hunted a whole lot of other places. Uh, especially field hunting. But our, our ducks here in the fields will drive you to drinking. You might as well take stuff <laughs> with you in the field. Because they absolutely will kill you. Uh, ducks, and they do this, I've watched them so much in off-season, you know, at the end of the seasons, where I, and I, I usually wet, I can't work, so I spend a lot of time listening to birds and watching birds in the fields, and these ducks will do it all the time. They'll fly around, they'll circle, they'll circle, they'll circle. They're going to come down, they're going to come down, they're going to land, and then they all get back up. And, you know, and you see that with live ducks on the ground. And, uh, they absolutely will drive you crazy. Yeah, and fields, they spin 
all freaking day long. You will watch tornadoes if, you know, the weather's right and everything's right. They will just sit there and spin all day long, and then they'll go, and half of the freaking group will land, and the rest of the group will decide they're going to keep spinning. So the other ones that landed will bounce up, and it's just... It will. If you're calling at them consistently, it'll drive you mad. Oh, yeah. And, and that's why, you know, a lot of time with our ducks, too, it's probably why I'm not as passionate about duck calling, you know, because, you know, we call on the corners, you know, and just very, very slight. Um, a lot of calling down here does not really work good a lot of times. Sometimes it works great, but, you know, like – there's different scenarios for different things but um like i said and i I don't know if it's because of the fields you know um i I, i'm I'm not really sure but um it's uh it will drive you to drinking them field ducks will there's no two ways about it and the thing about it's hard you know we hunt a lot of times you know when we're really out and it's actually a really it makes it challenging for us is to hunt a lot of guys you know uh, when we have seven, eight guys in a field, to hide in a, that in a field and be able to kill limits is uh, really tough. It, it, everything has to be right. And so when you have a lot of guys out there, you know, and it's hard to know when to call the shots on ducks because, you know, there, there'll be two pair right in front of you, chip shots, and, you know, there'll be some more committing in the back, and then they're doing the fly, and when one flies up, they all fly back up. They circle around, and the two get nervous on the ground, they fly away. And then, you know, it's a continuing game like that. And being the guy, you know, usually I'm the one calling the shot in our crew, and it's 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 tough. Until everybody starts complaining about me not calling a shot, I say, all right, you call a shot. <laughs> I don't want to call a shot. I agree, man. Um, we had our very last day at duck hunting this year. We were out on a small, small farm pond. And uh, like I said, the very end of January, it finally got cold for us. And, I mean, we were just loaded with ducks around Springfield in the areas that we hunted. You know, not like Arkansas or anything crazy like that. But for us, it was a ton of ducks. And um, we went out and we we were hunting this pond. And, of course, just like every unlucky hunt, the wind just died on us. So we probably watched 500 mallard circle and maybe 20, 30 land here, pick up and do that whole field duck thing. To where they're not really committed to staying. So they're just hitting the water and bouncing off. And we're just constantly waiting. We're like, all right, we're going to keep working the group. Keep working the group. Keep working the group. We're not going to shoot this 12 because there's 500 in the air. And then they all just got frustrated and flew off. And 20 minutes into the, you know hunting, the birds are gone that we've scouted. There's There was more birds than we even you know saw the night before. And they've bounced off and they've flown off into the distance. And we didn't even pull the trigger once, but we had 500 mallards, you know, 30 feet from our face. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I cannot yeah, believe that we just watched this and didn't even walk away with anything. It's amazing that we watched it. It was a lot of fun yeah. and beautiful, but I cannot well, you, believe you want it. everybody to get a shot. You want to, you know, exactly. Well, they're centering at least, you know, and but the way that they're doing it, you know, we will have land at crossways and odd wind like what are you doing don't you know you're supposed to land in the wind yeah they were <laughs> you know, trying like to the way we're set up but we would have been shooting them in the yeah we'd have been shooting them in the butt a lot of times and yeah. i'm like you know that's just not the way i like to do it so yeah exactly it can be uh, frustrating field man. Are, they're challenging they're very 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 challenging and i mean we've tried uh, so many different things you know and, and um there's just uh it's it's 
it's tough. You know, my buddy uh, Ben Waples. Uh, ben Waples is a used to be a contest caller, and uh, he got moved transfer out of Iowa to Cincinnati. And uh, I met up with him, and I said, "Jump in with us," you know. And hunt. so Ben hunted a lot with us, and Ben's hunted a lot of places. I mean, a lot of places, you know. And I. Uh, and that's where the thing about driving the drink and you know we were sitting together right next to each other on our layout blinds one time and these ducks did that same thing and I just looked up I said like, you know what the heck and ben said, that's when Ben said they'll drive you to drink and I'm telling you <laughs> field ducks and uh, so yeah this, it's uh, magic when they do it right though man <laughs> there's is, nothing it's, better it's, that's a lot of people's like you said down south they want to do that they want to hunt ducks over dry field you know even like Kent he couldn't comprehend it he's like you know just to come like to the field like to the cornfield I was yeah <laughs> that's where we're at you know and uh, it is a different concept for a lot of people to field hunt but then again it's, it's a different thing for me to get in a boat and hunt you uh, know I've, I've done it don't get me wrong but uh, it's a uh, you know I have to ask guys when I'm going I'm like well, what are they doing you know on the river like the Ohio River scenario we talked about though I don't do it much you know those guys uh uh, it's a different thing you know what I'm saying it's a different um, approach and the birds act differently and it's all about just learning those nuances I guess well and then just even like the getting to and from I've seen videos of guys from Missouri out hunting the Missouri River in you know late December when there's ice flowing down the river and they're mm-hmm. chopping through ice on the freaking oh, Missouri yeah. River and they're all from there so it's just you know normal to them and i'm like no <laughs> this i was in the navy cold water I equals death story about that uh i'm good friends with another guy's call maker chris wright he lives up in northern ohio he uh owns kes waterfowlers he's been making calls for forever and uh he's friends we're mutual friends with another guy jeff hoover who owns Duckwater boats in canton ohio well, those guys came down. They were going to Arkansas. Uh, had the boat loaded up and everything. We're headed down. And I got some calls from friends down there that said it was dead. And I caught hold of them. I said, man, you guys better call down there. I said, everything I'm hearing is dead. And they did. And they said, yeah, it is, man. We're already halfway. You know, they're down in a partial Kentucky. And I said, well, hell, come up here. We'll go hunting, you know. And uh, we went down the Ohio River. And set in a little town called Ripley and we were headed back uh, down river well the wind was blowing in our face and there was about five foot rollers on the Ohio River Uh. Chris was up front and it it was very very cold it was uh, by the time we got to where we were going to hunt we hunted on the bank actually but we had to get down into the drift where we were going and Chris was covered with ice from the breakers coming over this thing we had a surface drive motor and we had a 22 foot flat ball believe that or not and uh i was in the middle and uh with my dog and i i was gripping the sides of that boat so hard (laughs) going down through there you got hand prints in the metal and they said uh we got out of the boat chris goes god are you tore up this new boat and i'm like what are you talking about he goes you gripped the aluminum in on both sides <laughs> <laughs> exactly you're like and i was like oh man i don't like this one bit <laughs> no it's it's super unnerving and like i said i've grown up on water i in the summertime right now today it's 88 degrees i would kill to be on the lake drinking a beer like yeah. i grew up on it but frozen 
lakes yeah, with man. ice rolling down and yeah. waders. It's just it's a recipe for a disaster, and guys do it, it every very, very single dangerous. day. Yeah, it's very very dangerous. There's no two ways about it. You know, it's uh, and again, you know, to be diversified, you know, I should have a boat to be able to, and I need to go to these big lakes or go, and I don't, you know. Um, God, if you knew how much money I had in that trailer sitting out there, <laughs> you'd, you'd know why. <laughs> I mean, it's just too expensive to have. You know, I could probably have a couple boats, but it's it's crazy. Um, some of the different areas like that, but guys are really good. That's what I enjoy going with guys in different areas. When I went down to Arkansas for the first time with my friends, they have a, a really good lease on the Cash River, uh, Cash River Duck Club, and uh, to learn about how they, you know, the hunting down there in the they uh, have bottom ground on a cache and it just blew me away how different it was you know and learning that that's uh, you don't have that in a lot of things you're a deer hunter you're a deer hunter you know you climb in a tree pressure some people prefer a ground blind I guess but you know there's, it's, it's pretty much the same but with waterfowl not only the different species but it's the different ways that people hunt and I love learning about new ways and how people hunt in their areas and uh that's what, you know, being Facebook and being with the call makers and, and, and the people that I've known from making calls for, uh, I, I love that part of it. It's really uh, a neat aspect of waterfowling um, versus any other kind of hunt. Well, I agree, man. And I, I live so close to Arkansas. But you see all the the nonsense on all the public land, so I'm like, ah, oh, I'm not gonna ever mess with this this timber. We'll field hunt some honkers, and we'll pond hunt some ducks, and creek hunt some ducks when all the big water starts to freeze. I absolutely love hunting small creeks. You can just we do too. Now, we do get into that some here. Oh, you can beat the brakes off of them if all oh, the conditions yeah. come together. But then, yep. uh, one year it just flooded super heavy, and we were out on one of our lakes. And the water had worked its way up, you know, like a quarter mile into all the trees. And my buddy told me how he had just beat the brakes off the mallards in this area the day before. And, you know, we've never had flooded timber up there for a long time. And uh, I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. So we're standing freaking knee thigh deep in water. And I was like, dude, we backpacked in here a quarter mile on public ground. We're not running boats or anything like that. And, uh... I was like, dude, this is so much damn work. It's You're hot because you're wearing your waders and your freaking oh, yeah. gear. And then we got out there, and as soon as shooting light rolled around, we had 800 to 1,000 mallards just start falling through the trees. And I was like, okay, I get it. Like, this is yeah. awesome. <laughs> it's a meat grinder. <laughs> yes, yes. It so does we, all pay off. And I think, you know, it's funny that how many of us, um, all the people live identify that are waterfowlers you know perfect that goes off right how it fuels so much of what we do it's amazing you know uh, the money that we spend uh, the excitement you know we're like little kids it's and it's all chasing that perfect hunts like that as many of them as you can do because it is such a neat thing it's uh it's uh it's unique that's and a, I think that's why waterfowlers, you know, well, one thing around here, waterfowlers hate other waterfowl spots. We all hunt private grounds. <laughs> you know, it was always a joke around here that uh, an old, a very dear friend of mine, uh, Bob Baker, uh, he's one of the OGs. I was one in duck hunting. Uh, 
this is a man that where he his uh, old school camo come back in style, <laughs> you know? right? And uh, you know, and, and he taught me a, a lot, a lot. And uh, you know, listening to, to those kind of stories about you know when those birds came in originally and, and what it was like is another thing. You know that that um, that that makes you appreciate it, but. You know, back to the point, Bob used to say, you know, he goes, when we have people that would come out in the field, whatever, you know, that, that uh, a lot of guys will bump your hunts, you know, and then he said, I'm going to start hunting waterfowlers, that's it, <laughs> you know, and he always <laughs> joke about that, but, uh, but, but, but seriously, though, if you get together, you know, waterfowlers are, uh, uh, to each other, we can identify pretty hard, I think more so than, than other hunters, you know, that's, uh, it's a neat, it's a neat thing to, to be involved with, you know, and a neat, very unique, I think, a very unique group of hunters, and, uh, and what we do, and but it was, uh, it's about that. Whether it's calls, whether it's decoys, whether it's uh, shotguns, you know, all the components that add up to it, it's about that hunt. It's that one that you remember that drives you, and it, you know. Uh, you know, I was very, very fortunate um, to be, become pretty good friends with Tim Grounds. And, you know, Tim would talk about it. And it, it, it just, that reiterated what I've always thought about, what I just said. You know, I see Tim talking about when the, we went county, we went for a calling contest. First one I was ever at, actually. Tim talked me into going down a couple years ago. And uh, he would sit there and tell me, at the lodge, we were at that monkey's eyebrow. It's an area down there. And he would stop. And Ben Waples was with me when we were going to the contest. Tim would stop in the middle of the road and get out of the truck. And we'd all get out and say, hell, he broke down or something. He'd say, right over here. You see that? That's where we killed all them birds I told you about. It's all right in through there that day. <laughs> you know? And it's just passionate as it had just happened. You know? And uh, like I told you before, I love seeing that. I love hearing about that. You know? And, and uh, he it just it, like it just happened almost. You know what I'm saying? And, right. Uh, you, you know, I've killed some big bucks. I've killed God knows how many turkeys. Uh, I've got the number seven in the nation, typical turkey. You know, but those are all good hunts and they're very exciting, but there's something about waterfowling, you know, that is, is different to me. And I think a lot of people. I mean, you can see the industry that it's built because of it you know and uh, they're uh, and it's a good bunch of guys you know I, I, I trap shooters and waterfowlers uh, I'm telling you it's hard to beat them they're, they're just a, a good group of people you look on call nuts uh, and, and you watch it and track it over a year's time or two how much money how much insane amount of money that we raise for good causes these, uh, you know, call donations that we do and have waffles. It's a, it's amazing. And to find that kind of group of people like that, that um, it, it's just, it's just hard to find, really hard to find. You know, another, and like I said, in waterfowlers love to hate other waterfowlers, all that kind of stuff said. But at the end of the day, um, I, I think it's, it's a very strong 
group of people. Very strong. I agree, man. It's been so many times that I've been out on hunts or something like that. And I'm like, oh, this damn guy, you know, down there doing this thing or this guy. And then you, you know, outside of the hunt, once the hunt's over, you know, they become your best buddies (laughs) because the mutual love and interest of the sport. And you might, when they're competition, it's a little bit different. But then after that, I've had guys like that. One of my, one of my really good hunting buddies, he was hunting, I don't know, just 200 yards away from us we both set up in the dark neither of us saw headlights it just happens and 200 yards is not bad i mean i guess that's appropriate but still it was close enough that we were competing with each other so we walk over and we actually start talking to each other and now we we hunt together and it's been five or six years and it's just that mutual love for the sport and the birds man yep it was really funny you were mentioning Tim. I, mean, I love waterfowlers unless you're hunting my spot, you know. Exactly. <laughs> There's a different game, but uh, other than that, you know. Well, the first the time the day still. The first time I ever saw Tim talk, you were talking about Mr. Grounds, and uh, the first time I ever saw him talk, he was actually emceeing the Ballard County contest, and he the first thing I ever heard him say was, "Can you all shut up and put your phones away?" <laughs> He's talking to the <laughs> crowd. Was this the year before last, or two years ago? Yes, the very last year he emceed it. That I was standing, I was sitting in the front row. Were you really? I was sitting just three yeah. or four rows back, and we were live streaming it. Yeah, I was. Uh, I, that's why I was there. It was Tim? I'd never been to a calling contest, and uh, that was the one, huh? And, and, yeah, that was it. That was it. When Tim was doing all that, and Ben Waples was one of the judges, uh, and he rode down with me, so we met up with Tim and. Uh, Stayed down there. That's, sure enough, that was it. That's yeah, so heard. funny. That's such a small <laughs> world. If you look at the it BTBN uh, Facebook page, there's a picture of him talking to Kyle Jones, and he was actually lecturing him about checking his check geese because that was right before Kyle had won yep. the world championships yep. the next year. I remember. I remember. I heard the conversation. Yeah, exactly. We Tim were just standing there listening he goes, to. I got to talk to that Kyle about the check geese, and I'm like, the what? Exactly. <laughs> is there another species that I don't know about? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was he was a funny character. I was actually listening to his podcast um, on the Big Honker podcast a while back, a couple of days ago, and he was talking about new call makers and different call makers. And he actually threw your name out there. He's like, "There's there's this one guy. He's from Ohio." And he just does some ridiculous stuff with crazy materials, and he has some pretty good, pretty good guts going on in there. And his name is Ernie Ross. And I was like, "That's so funny," because I'm talking to him next week. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've never, I, I heard that from Ben Waples told me about it, and I heard that, and Tim never told me nothing about it, and uh, I found out afterwards. Oh, he was such a such a good guy and such a character, he man. Was, I just he was he was a he was. Uh, you talk about breaking a mold. I'm telling you right now. Uh, but I, you know, I, I I spoke about Tim at the Worlds that when he died. You know, uh, three of us got up and they dedicated the Worlds to Tim in Easton, Maryland. And um, you know, the thing that I talked about then and would still like people to know about Tim is what a good guy he was. You know, you, there's there's people that put on a lot of personas outside of themselves, but there's a core person, you know, that, that who you really are. And that person with Tim was a good guy. And I mean, I can't find a better word to say, you know, a hell of a guy. 
I mean, he is, uh, I tell you, we did that uh, Liz Hunt for a Cure that Mauro Tomasetti puts on. Uh, it's to benefit cystic fibrosis. And uh, Tim wanted to do something big. It was the last year for it. And uh, that's how Tim, Tim come to me and said, let's, you know, and I said, listen, how about I just make your calls out of my wood? And he was tickled to death. And he run them and he tuned them and we worked together on it. But he was so passionate about he goes, I want to raise so much money this year. So the last year for Liv, you know, uh, Livia, that was uh, Morrow's daughter. And uh, is Morrow's daughter. And uh, that's, that's the Tim that I know. And I know him to be that way. You know, he wanted to do good. And everything that he did, uh, and he, it's impressive. And, and the guy had, uh, the things that he did, you know, he got up you know, on call nuts and if, there was a God, I don't know how many views it ended up getting. He, I blew my call in front of, for everybody. And it, the man's a, I mean, honestly made a living selling goose calls. That's what he does. That's what he is. And he got up there to show people off my call. And you know, what kind of guy does that? You know? And he did it because he liked me and he liked my calls. And I was like, but Tim, I, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. That he, that he did that and that just tells you what kind of guy he is and that's the guy that I he, he was a great guy and it's something that this um, that hear about him and know about him but didn't get to meet him I really do I think uh, he is uh, he's a heck of a guy and Hunter's the same way you know I'll tell you this much Hunter say all he wants and I hope he listens I tell you this you know there's two peas in a pod and uh, I, the more I'm around Hunter, the more I talk to Hunter, the more I look at him, you know, and think, well, you know, that apple didn't fall far, you know, because Hunter's the same kind of guy. He's a great guy, you know, and uh, the, it's just uh, good to see that, you know, and that uh, at the level of, of, of they are in the calling world, and I just uh, – you always hear wild stories about everybody, you know, but I, I just hope everybody realizes what a great guy he was. And uh, he's uh, dearly missed by a lot of us. There's no better way to put it, man. He was uh, just a very, very special breed and somebody who did so much for not only the sport, and like you said, there's just so much for, for anybody and everybody that needed help. Um, you know, you just hear his name brought up by so many different guys. And lives that he yeah. touched. Yep. He did a lot of people. I'm telling you right now. He did a lot of people. And it's, uh, I, I absolutely love the history that I was able to learn from him. I mean, the history of the short read. And uh, the true history of the short read, you know, because he was part of that, a big part of that, you know. And uh, how that, Goose calls in general, you know, what they've, how the, a lot of things have developed and, and came about in the stories. You know, it's, uh, if I didn't have such a bad memory, I think I'd write it all down and uh, somehow publish it for people to to listen to it, or, or read. It's very, very, very interesting, you know, and uh, the respect that he had for Charlie Hess and for Keith Hess, you know, and that's the people right there that made the short read. That's the ones, and 
he always told me, Tim always said, man, he goes, I wish, he called him Chaz. He goes, I wish Chaz was around. He goes, you'd love him. He goes, you guys that sit down there and talk about this wood and stuff. He goes, oh, I wish he was still around. And that was Charlie, you know. And uh, he uh, had a deep respect for that, you know, for where that came from and how it developed and um, and how it changed, you know, calling. And it was a big part of that. That's it's interesting, you know, how it all goes down like that. Very interesting. Well, yeah, he told a lot of that story of what you're talking about with the uh, the short reese, and he was talking about the Hess brothers. That's something. Whenever you get the time, man, I you should really listen to it. It was really, really interesting to hear him him say it, and that was in July of '18. So it was, you know, pretty close. Yeah. Before it happened, but uh. Yep. It was really, really interesting and just fascinating listening to him tell all the stories and and just talk the way that that Tim talks. You know, I didn't oh, yeah. I didn't have the years of experience and hunts and you know the in depth conversations. I wish, like you said, that somebody would have made a documentary or something with guys like himself and Butch and just the guys from the yeah. past who've done so much for the sport and other callers and call makers. Yep. That uh, it really somebody needs to document it and make sure that uh, it, it's part of history. It is is much part yeah. of history, and uh, you don't want to jump on and read somebody's Wikipedia page and all you're going to see is some of the highlights and lowlights without missing all the great stuff that made that person that person. Right. Yeah, I agree with you totally. It's uh, <clears throat> it's uh. It's pretty neat, you know, from his passion. And it's him and I identified on one point more than any that we were both hunters, you know. And that's where we uh, bonded as friends, I think. You know, that we identified to each other as being hunters, you know. And the passion, I think, you know, I noticed that, like I just mentioned to you about his passion about hunting, you know. And I think the same with with him because he'd always say that, you know, about hunting, uh, as far as I'm, you know, with me, and um, it was uh, it was uh, an honor to be, you know, his friend. I, and that's that's I don't care what that's that's uh, exactly what it is, you know. And I'm glad I'm able to uh, be in Hunter's life and be, you know, a friend to him. And, and uh, we talk quite often and working on projects together and doing stuff like Tim and I did and um, that's that's been a lot of fun a lot of fun and um, so he's uh, I just uh, like I said I hope people can uh, realize that and, and see that you know to what kind of great guy he was just a great guy you know well since we're on it buddy what is your favorite Tim Ground story Oh, I can't say it on on this. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Ain't no way. <laughs> That's too yeah, we're getting personal sometimes. I'll, you know, <laughs> I'll tell you a couple of them, but there's a, there's a bunch of them. I, I will say this: this is a this is a good story that I, I wanted uh, to share with y'all. And, and you know, Tim's uh, last hunt that he actually hunted was with our friends in Canada in Prairie Sky Outfitters as the last time that he hunted uh, with a gun. Now, when we came down to Ballard, the wood duck season had just opened on that Saturday, wood duck teal. 
and we were staying at the lodge down and Tim at first was going to go hunt with us but he got up in the morning he got up and was hanging out with us and drinking coffee and he said I'm just going to sit here on the porch drink coffee and watch you guys shoot them because you could see where we were at um, you know he could see it and he just sat there that morning and that was the last time he ever saw a bird killed was Ben Waples and I and uh, some other people from the lodge were down there hunting <laughs> and uh, that was uh that was his last time actually being around to hunt. But his last actual time was in at Prairie Sky Outfitters. And uh, I've been to the last place that he hunted last year. Um, they do a Prairie Sky Outfitters is a great, great bunch of guys, hardest working outfitters I think there ever could be. There might be some that work as hard as them, but I, I would have to question anybody that works harder and puts more into it than they do. And they have a thing every year they do called the Callmaker Classic in which they invite. Uh, they've done it for a few years now when they invite some of us up. And uh, I've known Jason Evans. Jason headed it up. Jason's another uh, really, really great individual. Um, he invited myself up, Aaron Winger and Ken Eason, and there's a few others that couldn't make it, but we went the first year, and then the next year, Tim went up with a whole bunch of group of, of other guys, other call makers, and uh, then we went, they had us come back up last year, and we were gonna do a memorial, we still are gonna put a permanent memorial on the pothole where the last time Tim hunted, and I'm adamant about that, uh, doing that. Uh, so it'd be, uh, they got permission from the owner of the ground to do it, and uh, we're going to do it next time we go up, do some, you know, some kind of thing. I don't know what we're going to do yet, but something. And yeah, it needs to be done. That needs to be done. That's beautiful, yeah. brother. I agree. That is absolutely beautiful. <sighs> yeah. Man, um, we've been going for about an hour. And you told me in a message that you didn't think you'd have anything to talk about, and we didn't even talk about call making once. Yeah, we haven't. You know what that means, right? I've just been dodging it, I guess. <laughs> well, you know what it means. It means there's yeah. going to have to be an Ernie Ross episode two at some point. Oh. <laughs> oh. No, brother. I really. I really, really appreciate you giving me some time tonight, and uh, oh, you're my pleasure, dude. Thank you for kind of doing this. I think you know, um, I, I just like with a lot of the things, documenting a lot of uh, of, of guys and, and things, you know, and, and people, you know, like you just had mentioned about some Tim, definitely, you know, it's uh, it's great to be able to do that, you know, and, and to have a format for you to do this is uh, it's pretty cool. I, I really appreciate it, man. And I've got, like I said, I, I, I have some ideas in my head bouncing around for different things that I want to document and cover. Maybe maybe there'll be a Tim, a Tim Grounds documentary someday that uh, maybe I can be a part of, if not, you know, help piece together. Just, I don't yes. know. I, I would absolutely love to do it. So, well, I could take care of a lot of things and, uh, I, 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 you know, sure hunter would be on board with that and uh i know a lot of tim's good friends and uh there's a lot of lot, i think that would be a great idea i think it would be a great idea i love it brother it's now it's on the podcast so it's putting me on a it's putting me on the record <laughs> as saying i'm gonna do it so yeah. we're uh 
let's make it happen, man. I would love to do it, I, and I, I would love to do it's it. a story for whatever I can do to help. Yeah, yeah, it's it's something for waterfowlers, man. It needs to go down in history. I know he has his online uh, kind of history book on his website, but I, you know, motion video everybody really connects to, and it can be a piece that uh, that guys can look at it and remember. So, yeah, we'll definitely try to work something out. And that sounds great. Like I said, man, I really, really appreciate your time. I want to get together oh, and talk calls. And talk Anytime. the Ernie Ross system of no weightlifting, and that there's so <laughs> many guys that I've talked to in the past about it, brother. So we'll we'll have to make it happen yeah. again. We'll do it definitely. All right, man. I appreciate it, and uh, I, I would say if anybody wants to get a hold of you, but there, there's no waitlist, so uh, I'll tell them to uh, contact Andrew Hayden. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly what you do. Exactly. He can make him something fancy. <laughs> well, all right, brother. All right. Take care, Thanks man. Thanks again. All right, bye. All right, guys. That was the legendary Mr. Ernie Ross, and I really appreciate appreciate him giving me some time tonight. It uh, He told me in a Facebook message. He was like, man, I'm going to have nothing to talk about for an hour, but I'll do it if you want me to. And I was like... You'd be surprised. We go down some rabbit holes and uh, we get off into some history and I tend to get on my soapbox a lot. Sounds like the neighbors have fired up the mower, so I'll get off here and quit bothering you guys. Um, Subscribe, share, like. You guys are doing amazing. We're growing this freaking podcast, man. I looked at the numbers and in the last week, we've had more downloads than we had the whole month of April. So uh, it's tripling in size almost every month so you guys are listening sharing it's amazing the duck call is going to be given away this weekend it is thursday night so i'm going to get my butt inside and make sure i get it together for you guys and uh give that sucker away thank you guys so much for listening and uh we'll see you next time